Mike Gerbens, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm glad you found us. Today, we have a question and answer session with our new customer service person, Rachel Hader, my niece. Hi, Rachel. Hello. The moon's had aligned, and we needed a customer service person, so we got Rachel, which is really good because she was has a history being in the water treatment industry, back with ResChem. You remember ResChem, everybody? No? Raise your hands. I guess maybe they do. But that was a long time ago, many moons. And uh, I'm using moon references. I don't know why. I said the moons have aligned and many moons. Well, the planets aligned just recently. The planets, so. the planets did align. They did. But we couldn't see it because it was foggy out. Or I tried to see it. But it's not here nor there. See, so she knows Uncle Mike and I know her, but she was gotten rusty. You were in customer service after, you know, you left ResChem. Yeah, I've customer service for 15 plus years. Yeah, 15 years. So she knows how to customer and service at the same time. It's very important. It's key words, customer and service. So we have her fixing valves on her desk as she's servicing. No, 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 actually, no. So to get anybody out there, what would you do when you're kind of just getting back into it or you're you know, new in the industry? What did we say? There's a, what is it, Water Pros Facebook page? The Water Pros Professional Facebook page. And we said, get on there and see what people are yakking about or squawking about because we're mostly in the dealer market see what's what out there so she did and what did you mostly find out i mean you know when you were trolling around out there what are the dealers of course they can learn everything off this podcast you know that yeah yeah and but there's other things more current issues so this is what we're going to do is rachel being new and a lot of you Guys or gals are new, and she navigated the world out there. And what what was what came up as one of the bigger issues or questions out there? So one of the ones that was most commonly trending was different iron filtration medias. Now I noticed a lot of the posts were talking about catalogs, but mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what catalogs was, so I asked Uncle Mike. What's the difference between all the iron filtering medias? Medias. And boy, you can navigate so much out there. Iron filtration medias all use an oxidation reduction principle. We've covered a lot of them in past podcasts. So that's it's good to look back. And they all kind of use a manganese dioxide as the catalyst to reduce the iron. So when your iron is coming in, he's either clear, which is uh, ferrous, or cloudy, which is ferric. And I always say ick, cloudy, C's in there, the cloudy iron. What's the difference? One's oxidized, one's dissolved. And the one that's dissolved is harder to filter because it's dissolved, but you can capture it with ion exchange. But for this topic, we're doing filter medias and all the different ones. Everyone claims the different fame, but certain ones have different levels of that manganese dioxide on them. Okay. Or concentrations. Okay. So it's like, you know, 
premium, mid-grade, and super. Yeah. And the Catalog's light out there works pretty good because it has like a zeolite material, so it filters and oxidizes. Okay. Good old green sand is what it is. It's sand with, uh, used to have glauconite, which was an old dead dinosaur bones, basically, in New Jersey. New Jersey dinosaur bones. Glauconite or swamp material. I don't know. They found dinosaur bones in the glauconite. Okay. And so it was actually mined in New Jersey when you can mine in New Jersey. Now they built housing developments there and people said, no more mining. And so what they did is they actually opened it up. It's a dig for dinosaurs. It's a. Oh, dinosaur land or digger land. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And they they dig around and they have school kids go and find bones. So. Now they make it in Brazil with sand and they put manganese dioxide. And then there's pyrolox, which is an ore on a sand on a pyrolox is pure manganese dioxide, or they put it on a sand, they call it pyrolox advantage. Or I think clack has it as a filter ox and um you know put ox, you know, cattle ox, you know, filter ox. And so it's oxidation and Basically, what I tell everybody is there's no free lunch. If anybody claims that their filtration media, their oxidation media, doesn't need fuel in to perpetuate the reaction. So it's oxidizing and reducing, but it's it needs a catalyst, which is the oxygen or peroxide or permanganate or chlorine. And it holds on to it. And then the iron comes in, attaches, well, it actually is a catalytic reaction, oxidizes, reduces, and filters all in a bed, and then you have to backwash it. So you use, you know, or ozone or air, they have these air sucker valves now, and that's why the big debate over everything. But, so the keys are, have a good oxidation catalyst to, to, to perpetuate the action, uh, the reaction, which is fuel. And you have to have backwash because a lot of these are heavy. They're sand. Right. So if you don't have the backwash, it just loads up and barfs out a whole bunch of iron into the house. And, uh, you know, it's not good. And you're defeating the purpose. Yeah, iron barf is not good. So, yeah, you're defeating the purpose. You know, if you have a wimpy pump, it's not going to lift the tank and perch the material. So every one of them is a tool in a toolbox. And they all work in different levels of success. But bottom line is, if I'm repeating myself, you got to have the reaction perpetuated by some kind of fuel. People say, oh, just use the free oxygen in the water. Okay, yeah, you test that. Okay, all right. So what else did they have? The other thing wasn't talked about too much, but just being new to the industry or re-entering the industry, there are a lot more carbon choices now for different applications and how do you tell the difference between what application needs what versus catalytic or filter absorb coconut versus coal yes lignite so they're all seem to be used for something different so how do you tell the difference yeah we could do a million (laughs) uh, another podcast which we have we've done plenty of podcasts on carbon but carbon is mostly coal-based or coconut shell based. Coconut is a crop and it's grown. So since it's a crop, you could have varying 
degrees of quality and pore structure into carbon. Okay. So when they char the coconut husk, well, it's like we have the coconut that we use for food, like the white, the you know, the hairy coconut shell and then the white material and you crack it. But that husk, the big nut husk that you see the guy with the big machete and he splits that, that's what we use for carbon. Okay. So they have, it's a waste quote unquote product. A funny story right now, time stamping this, you know, gasoline is now over $5 a gallon, fuel is over $6 a gallon. So in these developing countries where they husk these coconuts, they're going, hey, we can burn these for fuel. Screw the carbon industry. So now the carbon industry is going, hey, we need these things for our substrate to make our coconut carbon because they char it in pits. They literally kind of char it, okay. slow burn it, grind it up, and then they activate it in the steam kilns and it comes out activated. It's like making popcorn out of, you know, out of coal. <laughs> kind of, really. But it's this world we live in. It's as crazy as it gets. Now they're starting to burn that for fuel and they're like, oh, wait, no, no. And so the prices go up and the prices go up and it's it's craziness. But, that's grown. So coconut carbon is very high quality because it's hard and it has a tight pore structure. And uh, it's used um, mostly for dechlorination because uh, when you dechlorinate, you rob a structural molecule out of the carbon and you weaken the carbon. And slowly but surely, you get black water, gray water in the house because it's carbon physically given up to ghosts going, ah, can't do it anymore. And you break the molecular chain that holds the carbon together and it, it gives up. So, but it is stronger. It has a stronger, tighter structure. So coconut carbon breaks down less frequently. As, you know, it's not as affected it as coal-based. Coconut shell, light VOC removal and chlorine removal and chloramine removal if it's catalytic. The coal-based carbons, they, what they can do is like Calgon has a higher pore structure, but it's a little bit weaker. But they can mine the coal. They know where the seam of that coal is. They can test the coal and say, okay, this is what we want to use. And then they grind it up into powder and then they reglomerate it into each little granule so they can custom build each lot from lot to lot and lot to lot. They have consistency. Because they grind it up and redo it and make it a designer carbon. Okay. Which is great for color removal, VOCs, light tannins. I wouldn't really suggest carbon for tannins. Early days, it, it would. It would grab the color out of the water or the color out of like cheap acid. They, there's some companies who will import cheap acid hydrochloric. It has a little bit of yellow to it and they'll run it through activated carbon it removes the color out of the acid so you refine the acid here instead of the country you bought it from that probably should have done that in the first place but you got it cheap anyway just hope your container isn't underneath the one with the acid in it you know i could imagine they don't put it way down in the ship you know you smell that no so anyway i digress so coal is cleaner uh, not cleaner it's re redesigned you can design it to be consistent and you want for PFOS removal, PFOA, you know, long chain, short chain, 
That's your next. Yeah. I'm, so I'm segueing right in into one. that's where you want the consistency of manufacture. Now, coal is a little bit weaker. So dechlorination, it does a great job, but it can break down into powder quicker. It'll still dechlorinate, but it just breaks down. You get gray water, shots of gray water. So you know your carbon is given up. And that's where people say to backwash or not to backwash. You can backwash uh, dechlorination carbon because it's a surface reaction. Okay. But for PFAS, which we're going to walk into, and volatile organics like trichloroethylene or chlorinated hydrocarbons, there's a thing called a mass transfer zone, which is set up like a V, and it says if water flows down through the carbon bed, picture a tank, and everybody close, close their eyes and look at your tank. Are you imagining a tank before you? And in that tank is your carbon. And the carbon, as the water flows from the top to the bottom, you create a like a, a mass transfer zone. And this is where all the little, everything gets adsorbed on the carbon. And if you backwash that, you disturb that transfer zone, you may flip the good carbon into the bad carbon and the carbon's confused. And next thing you know, PFAS is coming out the bottom. What did I do wrong? Oh my God. Yeah, very rarely. And Never upflow carbon. People are, oh, we upflow carbon. Don't ever do that for any volatile organic because you're flipping the carbon. Plus, people are saying, well, you know, it keeps it cleaner. I said, okay, if you're just dechlorinating and the bed is packed tight where you won't flip the carbon like a bingo balls machines, you know, in there where they're flipping around, you don't want that because you're reclassifying the bed. Dechlorination, eh, okay. Anything else, never upflow a bed of carbon. Okay. Now, what what else were they bantering about was the PFAS and the EPA? With the EPA coming out and saying there are very, very small, if no limit, or zero limit on the PFAS and PFOA, of course, that grabs everybody's attention, and that becomes the hot topic as to what are we going to do, how do we prepare yeah. Is it a true zero limit yeah. well, problem? I mean, I'm sure big. it can go it's into a huge topic, huge its own podcast all its own, but right now And we have. Is there anything to sort of new? quell the concerns of this new EPA yes. ruling? I saw that. You know, I always I tell people this. There's there's a many many folds, but I'll compartmentalize this because for the podcast time. But the Calgon F400, F600, the filter sword products work really well and they're made for it. There are ion exchange resins that work really well. And the difference is in the ion exchange and the activated carbons is that the ion exchange is quick. It has a very empty bed contact time. So they're a lot faster, say two to four minutes versus 10 minutes. So that's the time with it's, it's contacting. So carbon needs a lot of time to work on these little long chain, short chains are easier, long chain Gen X type PFAS is harder to remove. So it takes a long time where ion exchange doesn't really care. It's just going to grab them up and do it pretty fast. So if you have a commercial big high flow over 10 gallons a minute, you might want to go to ion exchange because the carbon bed will become 
kind of a rule of thumb now. There's a rule of thumb. Like a cube and a half of carbon for every gallon a minute. Okay. So that can get that, huge. That's a lot of carbon. Yeah. So what's that? 10 gallon a minute times a cube and a half. You'd need 15 cubic feet of carbon. All right. Am I right? Yeah. 15 count. Yeah. Cubic feet to treat 10 gallon a minute. Really? I mean, holy crap. You know, that's a lot of carbon. I'd be happy. You know, it's like, yeah. I'll sell you all the carbon you want. So what I'm saying is there's twofold on this PFAS thing. Now, this is zero limit stuff. Everybody got crazy. And I said, one man's oil spills, another man's cleanup. Look at it as an opportunity. But parts per trillion. I mean, this is crazy. Now they're like quadrillion. How can they test that low? It's like, it's really so tiny. Right. So you got to do your homework. It works well. Ask the experts like us and think about disposal. If you want to get into this PFAS removal, you really got to look at disposal before you call me because we can take care of carbon. Resin is another, it's a little tricky. There's disposal companies. How long they're going to do it for, I don't know. But Calgon has it all set up for carbon. So we do the carbon. I favor that a little bit because of the chain of custody. Okay. That's what people should be more worried about is after they, you know, after they treat it, what you going to do? After they get rid of it, where's it going to go? Yeah. So what else do they have? Seems as though everybody loves to post their installs. And on the opposite side, they post the before and afters and then. The, what was in there at the yes. originally, and then they look, look how great mine. Yes. Well, of uh, course, they're not going to post a crappy install with hanging PEX pipe everywhere. and uh, It's quite interesting to see some of the befores. There was one where a homeowner did his own install. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> Probably YouTubed it and, and made it quite a bit more complicated than it should have been. And then you have all the after installs, which all look Beautiful and, and new and new and shiny. tight and everything's perfect. Yeah, of course, like I said, they're not going to post the... Uh, and there's the occasional UV light that's a little too close to the ceiling. Yeah, we, I told you about that one. So yeah. that was kind of have to take that into consideration in order to, to get the bulb out when you need to. You see a lot of different arrangements. Which is good for you to see and other people to see as a good reference point. If they think it's good, I mean, I never, I'm, I'm kind of an old curmudgeon. I don't do this Facebook stuff because I'm half burnt out by the end of the day and I just want to go home and drink fine wine and, you know, and have fine chocolates served to me by my well, servant I people. Have yeah, to, no. to worry about the Facebook page. Yeah, and worry about that. No, no, just kidding around. But yeah, I, I've seen, I've delved into a lot of it and uh, a lot of guys are proud. I do a lot of commercial industrial work and you know some of those that's it men from the boys some of the big commercial industrial installs because uh yeah really gotta know what you're doing i guess they're big on pro press see you see it's uh special there's pecs and pro press uh that's revolutionized the industry uh because it's easy anybody can become a plumber with shark bite fittings and pecs and uh pecs is uh that's the different color pipes you probably saw, white, green, red, I mean, white, blue, red. They have a, a special machine that crimps. So you have cut your pipe, put in your fitting, 
and then a little machine just goes and it just kind of grabs it like a fist and crimps oh, it. Okay. And it's a crimpinator. But those fittings are hard to find these days and they're like super expensive. And the old days, they used to solder pipes, you know, where you would cut your copper and then clean the end. And I'm an old school copper guy because it looks really nice. Even the Pro Press copper, it's, but Pro Press is a, the same kind of thing. You push it in, it has a kind of an O-ring and a crimp seal. Okay. So you have a bigger, stronger machine that just grabs it and 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 creates that crimp. But yes, the shiny, new shiny copper is very yeah, new pretty. shiny <laughs> copper does yeah yeah. That's you're right. Instead of pipes hanging all over like spaghetti, yeah, you get you got to support it. And this the hygiene part of copper. You know, of course, copper corrodes. If you're going to use an acid neutralizer, you have bad, bad water. You got to use PEX, you know. But a lot of PEX has copper bronze elbows. Okay. So your water is kind of pissed off by the time it gets to that copper fitting. And because it doesn't have anything to eat, so it gets in there and it's just like, I'm going to eat this piece of copper now that was left here. Or these elbows, these nice, juicy bronze elbows and just, you know, goes right after those elbows. So grounding becomes a big issue with those, with the new piping. Okay. The new age piping. Because what happens is, is these, you have city electricians on country water and if the house had a lot of copper in it, they ground all the TV uh, boxes, uh, Wi-Fi, internet, and then your main panel, they, they'll ground to your, to your uh, copper. But then they come in and put pecs, and they broke the copper ground that usually went from into the ground out to the house, out to the street. Okay. So now you have this microamp dancing around in the plumbing saying, I have nowhere to go. It'll find a dissimilar metal or soft copper. Soft copper is an uh, alloy, and it'll have tiny little impurities in there. And you'll get a wormhole because it creates an anode cathode. And whatever that impurity is, it reacts with the copper and it goes in a little hole. You get a little hole, a little, little, little hole coming. And uh, it's not that the copper's not thin or beer can thin. You get these little weeper holes. And then you know you have a grounding problem. So you have to find that copper, put a big ground on it, heavy wire out to a uh, earth ground, drive that giant freaking pole into the ground, not underneath an eave, but where you have moisture in the ground. Some people put them in there where they don't have moisture in the ground. <laughs> it defeats the purpose. But I wonder if a desert grounds as good as dirt. Hmm. I guess it's desert dirt, but you think it's sand. Wonder if they're saying anybody in Arizona listening. Wonder how they ground. If you don't have any ground, you just have desert dirt, and it's dry. It is very dry. You need moisture. A lot of the houses have pools out there, though. You know, you just splash on your ground rod every now and then. Honey, pour some water out on the ground rod. You know, so our pipes are being eaten up. I don't know. Well, that's a good question. Hmm. Any electricians and electrician engineers? So, what else do we have? Footwear. Did someone come up uh, with Someone, there was a topic wear? about who wears what for their jobs and, and I don't know, if they wear about sneakers that. or sneakers. I, oh, guy wearing sandals. Uh, flip flops, yes. Flip flops on the job. Can you imagine? 
You know where that was? Florida. What if you drop something on your foot? Your insurance agent's going to go, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Flip-flops. No, no. We got to wear. Yeah. A little bit more durable than flip-flops. Rach, and welcome to the team. I'll keep a continual lookout on the Water Pros page. And as I learn some more, I can try and offer some insight with questions that might come up. And I can always ask Uncle Mike his insight and, and relay that to anybody who has questions that come up on the Water Pros page. I'll try and get a little more active over time as I learn some more. Yeah. And Rachel does have a very, very good mechanical aptitude, a good uh, problem solving aptitude. So, uh, don't be afraid to call and challenge because that's what made me grow from ferreting out the answers. You know, that was very important, you know, to have at least someone you can bounce questions off of. But, you know, it's you guys that made me who I am today, Mr. Mycopedia, and doing these these things and sharing the knowledge. So, so that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening and trust the frog. Bye.